A lot of church people have what I call a phobia of failure. It's resulting in the distortion of lens, meaning misperceptions. For example, Original sin makes them feel like I am a problem. That's why I run from my problems. I am God's problem. That's why I run from my problems. I am pain. That's why I run from my pain. I am God's pain. Again, that's why I run from my pain. I am an issue. That's why I run from my issues. I am God's issue. That's why I run from my issues. I am conflict. That's why I run from my conflicts. I am God's conflict. That's why I run from my conflicts. So that explains the... The failure complex that a lot of believers have been indoctrinated to have. And it all starts with the despising being fully human and being jealous of God because God is fully divine. I'm telling you the trauma complexes that a lot of religionists have. Right, So they would rather be fully animalistic than to be fully human. Because original sin makes them feel like we're, we are God's untamed, undomesticated brute animals. There is no way... We can be God's perfect humans, only Jesus is that. So there's only so much repentance I can do. I can't help but to be the hypocrite that I was born to be. I was born a hypocrite. That's why I defend hypocrisy and get mad when loving people inside the church and outside the church call out the church's hypocrisy. I, 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 I feel that by how I came out the womb. Scandals and being scandalous just comes naturally easy to me. So I gotta have sex with the pastor. And the pastor says, well, I just gotta have sex with the congregation. Or I just gotta embezzle. I gotta steal money. I have to sign bad deals with greedy developers who make more money on their side than us as the church on our side. I know they're fucking us over. I know they're screwing us over, but hey, this is how original sin works, people. That's how they feel about God and themselves and each other and everybody else. They feel like, look, I can't be totally sinless, so I gotta have some room to sin. It's just how it is. 
And then when you get to know them, you recognize that religion actually teaches people to misuse themselves to be of self debasement to be of self degradation to be of self desecration to be of self injury to be of self damage self harm self hurt self wrong self injustice self insult self mistreatments self violation self malevolence self mishandling Self-mismanagement, self-pollution, self-defilement, self-perversion, self-abuse. Religion teaches people to be anti-self-care, anti-self-respect, and anti-self-veneration. And then I really had to learn that religion teaches people to abuse others, misuse others, to be at the debasement of others, to be at the degradation of others, to be at the desecration of others, to be of the injuries of others, to be at the damage of others, to harm others, to hurt others, to wrong others, to do injustice to others, to insult others, to be of the mistreatment of others, to be of the violations of others, to be of malevolence to others, to be of the mishandling of others, to be of mismanagement of others, to be of the pollution of others, to be of the defilement of others, to be of the perversion of others, to not care for others, to not respect others, to not to be of the veneration of others. Religion teaches people to offend themselves and to offend others. Religion teaches people to impair themselves and to impair others. Religion teaches people to ill-treat themselves and to ill-treat others. Religion teaches people to maltreat themselves and to maltreat others. Religion teaches people to victimize themselves and to victimize others. Religion teaches people to oppress themselves and to oppress others. Religion teaches people to ruin themselves and to ruin others. Religion teaches people to mar themselves and to wrong others. Religion teaches people to spoil themselves and to spoil others. Religion teaches people to harass themselves and to harass others. Religion teaches people to taint themselves and to, and to taint others. Religion teaches people to corrupt themselves and to corrupt others. Religion teaches people to oppose upon themselves and to oppose upon others. Religion teaches people to persecute themselves and to persecute others. Religion teaches people to pervert themselves and to pervert others. 
Religion teaches people to profane themselves and to profane others. Religion teaches people to enslave themselves and to enslave others. Religion teaches people to be the accusers of themselves and others. Religion teaches people to be the prosecutor of themselves and others. Religion teaches people to be the plaintiff of themselves and others. Religion teaches people to be the adversary of themselves and others. Religion teaches people to be the opponent of themselves and others. Religion teaches people to accuse themselves and others. Religion teaches people to denounce themselves and others. Religion teaches people to charge themselves and others. Religion teaches people to indict themselves and others. Religion teaches people to blame themselves and others. And then as I have been thinking about this particular church experience I had, I remember we were at the church, um, one of the church's parking lots. This was the First Baptist Church of Glen Arden. And this is Upper Marlboro, Maryland. And I say names publicly because I know I'm not an evil spirit, a mean spirited person, so I don't see why not. I'll be just fine. The way I talk about religion is always is always from a compassion standpoint. So I'm not worried about illegality. I'm not worried about illegality, legality. I'm not worried about any of that. I'm a I'm a law abiding person, so I'm good. So I remember. John Gray, the pastor, came to speak at First Baptist Church of Glen Arden because it was the revival week that they have in uh, January. And so my parents and I wanted to see him because it's not like every day you get to see uh, a John Gray um, at your church. And we didn't have to pay any money. So my parents and I, we made sure that we left extremely early. Because if you left, if we left at our regular time, we would have never made it. But we left early with other people. And not everybody gets to leave their work early. Um... But some people get to leave work early. Some people don't have the type of bosses that will allow them to leave early. So I'm pretty sure some people that wanted to go couldn't because not everybody has a boss that respects your life 
outside of work and all your wishes outside of work. So my parents were fortunate to be able to have bosses that weren't so rigid on, no, you got to clock out like everybody else is more like, eh, okay, y'all are already doing satisfactory work. All right, go. You can leave. Um, So we went to the parking lot and we were told that we couldn't come inside the church um, because it was filled to capacity, meaning it was so filled that there were no more seats available within the sanctuary. So we asked, okay, what about the overflow? And the overflow was overfilled. So we, but when he said this, when the person on the shuttle said this, we were at the parking lot, we parked our car, a shuttle came to pick us up to say, hey, I'm gonna take you to the church. And then I remember they got, they were on their walkie talkie because they were talking to whoever was in the church, like, hey, I got more people um, trying to get in the church, tell them where the seats are. Uh, we, you know, there's no more seats where we we are more than filled to capacity. So we all had to get in our, so we all had to walk to our car. We had to walk from one part of the parking lot to the other part of the parking lot, get back in, I had to get back in my parents' car with my parents, and we drove home. And when we drove home, um, I saw a lot of women crying as they were driving home. And we we don't know what they went back home to. We don't know if they went back home to sexual abuse. We don't know if they went back home to intimate partner violence. We don't know if they went back home to sexual harassment. We don't know if they went back home to being the punching bag that their partner sees them as. We don't know if they went back home to unemployment and underemployment. We don't know if they went back home to a toxic workplace and abusive supervision and narcissistic leadership. What if John Gray's words were the words that they needed to hear? So I saw women crying some as they were driving back from the church because they were told the same thing. There were a line of cars trying to get into the church. So you saw new countless cars driving back home. I could make out what some of the people were saying and some of the people were, clearly they were cursing as they were driving back. I could read lips well. I could tell that they were dropping F-bombs, meaning fuck, S-bombs meaning shit, A-bombs meaning ass, D-bombs meaning damn, 
bombs, meaning bitch. I mean, that they were saying it. They were lip syncing it. So I'm telling you what the letters meant. Because when people hear the letters and then the word bomb, they don't get what you're saying. So you got to say clearly people go, oh, okay, I get what you're saying. So, yeah, they were cursing under their breath. Their breath. Some of them, I could tell, I could make out what they were saying on the phone. And they were saying, I tried to see, they, this is what I could tell they were saying. I'm trying to see about John Gray and this nigga on my ball, this nigga, my boss is not trying to let me see him. And when I try to get up to see him, I got a, I got turned away and this shit's all, this shit's so fucked up. That's what some of the believers actually said. But their windows were rolled up. And when some believers get mad, that's exactly how they talk. I'm not dehumanizing believers. I'm fully humanizing believers. Believers get mad. Believers don't keep it clean all the time. They're fully human. So I don't expect believers to be perfect. It's a bullshit ex- uh, um, assumption to see that they're all perfect. And it's bullshit to even try to say that, hey, they're people. What did you expect, you know? And at the same time, in this case, they're justified to talk like this because in my mind, when it came to the church, and I remember Pastor Jenkins would say that it would be too costly to have it at a regular venue like the Verizon Center. Personally, I disagreed, and I, and I say it respectfully. Here's why. When your church makes millions of dollars every year, you make the money back. That's what mega churches do best. They always make their money back. There will always be people coming to your church. I mean, T.D. Jakes is a spiritual father and family best friend. When you're connected to high-profile pastors and high-profile ministries, your church will never hurt for money. I'm just being honest. The human condition is the same whether you're around church people or unchurched people. I mean, that's what I thought to myself. But you're allowed to make millions of dollars every year. I mean, look at the Family Life Center and the surrounding properties that y'all have bought as as a church. I'm like, y'all good. Y'all, y'all are never broke. Y'all are just fine. And the pandemic didn't stop enough of the members and people who love the church who are not members from tithing to y'all online. So it's like, y'all good. You can, you should have the church at the Verizon Center. If you have the church at the Verizon Center, you'll make way more money as the church that you are than you will at the sanctuary. I'm just saying, some things are worth paying more because you can use more of that money, pay less in entertainment, and you can spend more of that money on social justice causes, like spend more of that money on autism spectrum entities and autism spectrum families, abuse survivors and abuse survivor families, and... DACA recipients, um, immigrants, um, 
orphans, uh, refugees, um, people who are struggling with affordable housing, people who are struggling with food and water and shelters, like spend more on those things. If you spend more on the least of these, then paying for the Verizon Center is worth it. It's costly, but guess what? That accommodates more people and has more money given to those who are the needy, the hungry, the thirsty, the lonely. You can spend more money on getting more people signed up for medical care, high quality medical care. More people can be enrolled for beautiful health care. That means more people get to have their disease and illnesses healed faster. And more people, when it comes to the diseases and illnesses that don't get healed, at least they have better medication to manage it every day for the rest of their lives. At least they have better treatment, better surgeons, better surgery, and their lives will be linked. They could live a long life with a debilitating disease. It's like, okay, it's not so debilitating. I can't live long because my health care is that fucking awesome. It's like, spend more on that. It's like, spend more time building relationships with the group like Rain, rape, uh, a you know, uh, actually, um, Rain, I'll tell you what their initials stand for. It is the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. It's like, build, if I'm a mega church or just a church, don't matter how big it is, build, build a relationship with Rain. You know, build relationships with human rights entities and say, hey, we are the people of God, and even though we have our interpretations of Scripture, we don't allow those interpretations of Scripture to make us so hateful and cruel and rude and mean and nasty and belligerent. It's like, hey, we may not agree on everything, but we have to allow the human rights of others to flourish, even if we may not see eye to eye on their personal lives. It's like, do that as a church and say, hey, you know, we need to do more interfaith coalitions because we need to be more sensitive to our Muslim family. You know, and you could say that as a church, like they're your family. They may not believe like you, that don't mean they're not your family. They may not love like you, that don't mean they're not your family. That doesn't mean they're not your family. And they may not think like that doesn't mean they're not your family. It's like, you know what? How can we be sensitized to injustices happening in the Muslim community? And say, you know what? Let's take it a step further. We're going to do that, but how can we break bread with atheists? Like, what can we focus on what we agree with atheists? Like, um, what are injustices happening to atheist community? How can we see them as family? Because they're people. They are beautiful, souled people. How can we make sure they never go without? How can we make sure that we can show love to them and, and 
and not feel like we have to be religious about it. Yes, we can keep our views, but how maybe this can help us to learn how to show God's love in more than one way. I'm looking at, see, mature Christians who have really studied the Bible like I am, they'll appreciate what I'm saying. Because I'm not saying everybody has to drop their beliefs. I'm not telling anybody to do that. I would never tell anybody to do that. I'm talking about, okay, how can I spend more money on people who are different than myself, who may have different pains than I do? How can I spend more money on combating militarism, racism, poverty? How can I spend more money on, you know what? We need to build more workplaces that are friendly to those who don't have it to give and the least have it to give and the have-nots. How can we uh, make sure that we spend more money teaching life skills of all kinds of people, make sure more people know how to balance a checkbook, making sure more people know how to cook nutritious meals, make sure more people know financial literacy so they can have generational wealth and at the same time, you know, you, you don't overpay or underpay. You pay rent, you pay bills, you pay mortgage, but you know which bills to pay first, which bills to pay last. And then why not teach people, you know, how can we spend more money combating natural disasters? How can we spend more money on infrastructure as a church? We're like, hey, we have relationships with politicians. Let's say, hey, we want to help you with the debt ceiling. How can we spend more money on making sure America never gets so bankrupt that we become the slaves of China? And then why not say, you know what? Even when it comes to the abortion subject, how can we spend more money on social programs that cater to women's needs, therefore you have less abortions in the world? If we spend more time catering to women's human rights in regards to the economic and political and social injustices and racial and environmental injustices that happen to them, that will create less and less abortions because research says that. Credible research says that. And then it's like with church, okay, terms of LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus people, how can we understand that what they're asking for is not evil? They want, they want equity treatment, just like I do. They want a quality hosp- hospitality, just like me. They're not advocating for any kind of inhumanity. So why be dismayed by the Ogia Carter principles and the right to sexuality when they're not enemies of the church and they're not enemies of the cross either, right? So it's kind of like, 
It's very much like um, getting back to the story. We tried the next day, same result when it came to Bishop T.D. Jakes. When he was speaking at um, the First Baptist Church of Glen Arden for the revival. And I saw more believers expressing anger towards Pastor Jenkins and the church. And I said to myself, this is January 2019 to be exact. And I said to myself, that's not how people should be treated um, in terms of there, there needed to be a better business model and plan for that. I'm saying that as a former member, this is what I saw. And I'm saying this publicly, not to be public enemy number one of the church, especially with Rajasthan Bernard, but a lot of people at mega churches have this frustration. So I feel the need to publicly say it that other people feel this way too. It's like, okay, a lot of people will give bad reviews of a church like that because of things like this. It's like me speaking these things does keep in healthy perspective the idea that a lot of people may not be able to See the pastors that speak to their hearts. And I noticed that in church, Jesus and high-profile churches are treated as fashion accessories. You only go to a certain church because of the title, because a lot of people are there, because thousands, hundreds of thousands go. You don't go because of the Bible. You don't go because of You don't go for Jesus. You don't go to grow in Jesus. You're there because, ooh, my church is, this church is on Christian television. So in actuality, the Congress spirit has overtaken the church. The celebrity culture spirit has overtaken the church. The Hollywood spirit and the acting world of Atlanta spirit has overtaken the church. The corporate America spirit has overtaken the church. The Ivy League spirit has overtaken the church. So I learned this from Bishop Carlton Pearson. And he talked about the variables of how church grows. And I'm paraphrasing, he talked about how in church... There are people, most of them are not with you or for you, meaning some are there to actually criticize you, bash you, tell everybody how bad your books are, how bad your preaching is, how bad your pastoring is, how bad the tithes and offerings are how bad the Bible studies are, how bad the church events are, how bad the look of the church in the parking lots are, how bad the size and the appearance of the church is. And 
they're there to sabotage you every time and every day that the churches are open. And they're there to make the church's life a living hell during all its working hours and all its worship hours. So they're the type of people that will buy the church's products and leave bad reviews and criticize it just so, so harshly. So you do, so haters come to church, that is true. And he talked about how some may not be totally for you nor with you. Some may silently dislike you, your leadership of the church, your preaching and everything that you do at the church. But they're silent. They don't brag about it. They don't mention it. They're there, but they're unhappy with you and the church and direction of the church. And then he talked about how there's very few people in the church that are totally with you and totally for you, meaning they love nearly all, most of, or everything about how the church is going. And that woke me up even more to the reality of church, how... To how church has really um, the church doesn't address why mega churches grow. Like when you're a pastor, sometimes you get nasty emails, nasty letters. Um, nasty text messages, nasty FaceTimes, nasty video chats, nasty social media chats, um, nasty comments, dislike buttons are pressed by a lot of people. If you're on a video sharing chat, let's say your church has a YouTube channel. You, uh, if you're a pastor, even if you have all of the traditional Christian beliefs, you're called the Antichrist, you're called a liar, you're called a deceiver. You're, you're, they'll say you're not rightly dividing the word of truth. They're saying that it, all your interpretations of the Bible are wrong, that you're blaspheming, that you're committing unpardonable sin against the Holy Spirit, that they'll criticize what you wear, how you're talking, they'll criticize your humor, they'll criticize you not using humor, they'll criticize you for using humor. They'll criticize you for, oh, you're one of those Showtime at the Apollo type preachers. Or, oh, um, you're dressed too elegantly. You're living too much of the high-end, luxurious life. And you you get dogged out for everything in that world. You have donors who may love the church, but they can't stand you as their pastor, and they can't stand your preaching. And you have members who they come to the pastor 
knowing that they want to quote unquote sin and they make it look like they're not getting the pastor's permission to do it but that's what they're doing so they directly and indirectly ask and they'll take the pastor's words no matter what the pastor says to go okay I'm gonna blame my adultery on the pastor or I'm gonna blame my gambling habit so bad I have astounding debt on the pastor so you have pastors who are psychologically manipulated emotionally manipulated quite often and I learned that um When I was at the First Baptist Church of Glenarden, the church would be semi-packed, but whenever Priscilla Shiver, Tony Evans, they're on Christian television, whenever they came to church, you couldn't find a parking spot. It was super jam-packed. The traffic was ridiculous. Usually, it would it would take up five minutes to get in the parking lot. It could take half an hour, even longer, to get in the parking lot. Or sometimes you had to t- find an illegal space and make that your space or park in the grass. You're not supposed to, but people would be like, hey, I know where it is. I just have to remember, okay, I'm on this side of the street. I'm going to rush into this church because they're still saying there's enough seats so we as a family, we're going to hold hands, run in the church. I've seen that happen when I was first Baptist Glenarm many times. And I remember when um, when I was in church, too, I saw, I was, I saw Pastor Wanda Frazier. And her, it wasn't as it was a little more packed for her than it was for Pastor Jenkins but I said to myself Pastor Wanda Frazier says everything that traditionalists love to hear so why why does she have to be on TV for people to go ooh I want to see her it shouldn't matter She's about speaking biblical convictions. And y'all traditionalists want that in everybody. And she's doing that. And she's not on TV. But her words are exactly in accordance and in alignment with what traditionalists value. So why aren't y'all flocking to her? But these men pastors, you're flocking to them. And see, these are some of the reasons why I left church, because I recognize I didn't see a seriousness there. I didn't see a seriousness of people really understanding how they're impacting others. Um... I then learned that 
church history has shown that Christian history is filled with people being evil to non-believers, being the quality of being evil to non-believers, you know, sinning against non-believers, being of wickedness to non-believers, being of depravity to non-believers, and being of crime and sinfulness to non-believers, and forcing non-believers to experience corruption, vice, and immorality. From the believers to the non-believers, and I and um, I in cr- Christian history is filled with those forcing abusive survivors to experience iniquity, perversity, badness, vileness, baseness, meanness, malevolence, indecency, hatred, viciousness, and wrongs, grossness, foulness, degradation. And harmfulness and maliciousness. Christian history has been filled with a lot of people in the church who are making abusive survivors feel these ways. So that's what I wanted to say. My last church memories I wanted to give. 